Hi everyone and welcome back to A Drop in the Bucket. This is a podcast about mental well-being where we use the analogy of a stress bucket to think about what affects our mental health and what helps us to cope and feel well. We are a primary school teacher and a clinical psychologist who love talking to people about their experiences and we want to share these conversations with you. Hey Becca! Um, it feels really weird saying that to you because your face is literally like kissing distance from where I know, <laughs> it's so bizarre, we don't normally, we always do everything over Zoom, um, but you know, these are the days that we are living in. I know, we've just, um, Sarah's at my house and we just thought, oh we need to record an introduction for the podcast, why don't we just do it like this? So, And nice. what a cracking episode. Oh, yeah. So this month's episode, um, we were aware that it was Pride Month uh, coming up in June and um, I'd heard this story uh, about Callum who I know through so my, his mum works with my mum. It's one of those kind of connections. But I'd read a wonderful article that he'd done um, kind of about his story about mental health and struggling with his sexuality when he was um, a teenager and some of the work that he does now um, in terms of using that story um, to help uh, young people who are maybe going through similar struggles. And I thought what an incredible voice to have on and we're always looking for kind of new perspectives and new voices mm. and it was so good yeah it was it was such a fun chat as well mm. like, I think we really have been really blessed in finding an awful lot of guests who are just genuinely great to talk to mm. like we have a lot of fun talking to people and I'm always really amazed by people who because you know not everybody feels able to do this and not everybody should do this but people who are able to use their own personal experiences to go out and then use that as point kind of activism and education because yes people are incredibly you can hear Callum's passion about this as he talks about it but um there must it's like when Nancy came on and talked about um anti-racism and bias work that there must be times when it is just incredibly draining to have to go there time and time again and to have to um, I suppose re- remember and sometimes relive and re-see some of the same kind of things that you experienced or, or continue to experience yourself um, so I'm just always yeah just really amazed and really grateful to people who who do this kind of work really and he also just struck that wonderful balance between going here's my story and here's what I've learned from it and here's mm-hmm. what others can learn from it but also it's only my story yeah and it's one example and, and one part of it and I think actually um he just did that really wonderful job of going this is who I am this is my experience this is what I've learned from it this is what others can learn from it but there's so much more to learn um and I know I learned stuff um from the talk so like actually um I hope you will too yeah absolutely I think one of the things that I was really struck by this time was as I was having as we were having the conversation I was really aware of how much I was processing mm. and it wasn't just about like oh I have thoughts about this, or I've I have had thoughts about this I'm going to share them it was I could feel myself thinking through things in real time or becoming aware of things and and I'm sure I do that in other episodes as well I was just really aware of it this time um but as we keep saying these conversations they really do help us yes um, we do learn something different every time and um I don't think you need to host a podcast in order to do that you don't need to go out there and and seek stories from strangers in order to do that I think you just need to to listen mm. um and and to keep like you said knowing that you've still got more to learn so um yeah we're really grateful to everybody who who joins us and listens and, and wants to do that alongside us so and we're really grateful to Callum for coming and sharing his story so enjoy welcome to the podcast hello thank you so much for joining us we're going to start as always with some icebreakers for you so what was your favorite tv show as a child Ooh. um when i was a kid my guilty pleasure was definitely phineas and ferb on disney channel nice which is really niche and i remember some of the songs to this day but it's just one of those things you just put on put on the disney channel from a young age which might yeah come out later into what we're going to talk about why that might be the case but um yeah Phineas and Ferb 100% oh I love Phineas and Ferb absolutely love it I it's one of those tv shows though where actually when I've talked about it before not that I talk about it a lot but when I've mentioned it I don't think I've come across anybody else who's watched it so yes I've I've know of it but I've never really watched it we'll change that soon Sarah okay okay yeah okay great um, what is your favourite way to relax? Oof. In the summer, definitely go down to the river with my housemates, go and have a chill, a picnic, probably crack a beer and just sit there and chill in the sun, to be honest. Nothing too exciting. There is just something so nice about the sunshine, isn't there? I haven't been out in it today, 
I just I, like I really like driving with the windows down, music blaring. I had some cracking 90s tunes on today. But it'd be Witched and Spice Girls, and then a bit of Gina G came on, who are just a little bit. I was like, Stephen looked at me like, "What on earth are you doing?" What is what a stupid question. Right. <laughs> that should be a question for next year. What is your favourite 90s hit? Yes. And the point at which we start getting people who say, I'm sorry, I don't know any 90s music. We know we're too old. Could be. Okay. Could be. Um, but say, given that you've said that you used to watch the Disney Channel a lot, I'm going to give you this one as your final icebreaker. Um, if you were somehow able to bring any Disney character to life, who would you choose? Oh. Um, that's quite hard, actually. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go really rogue here. Hannah Montana, just because <laughs> I just think it'd be so funny if that was actually real life. Like, <laughs> not because I'm really in, in a fan of Hannah Montana, but just because I would love for that to have actually been a reality like TV show, like be like Harry Styles tomorrow being like, I'm not Harry Styles, I'm Jeff. Pete. I don't know Pete from Coventry. <laughs> Yeah. I just you do look at some of those shows and go you do have to suspend reality a little bit to think who who was fooled by that like who would have been fooled by that I just wish that it wished people were it'd be a lovely world yeah okay here are your quick five music or podcasts running music driving podcasts Nice. I know I said both. <laughs> <laughs> okay, four long journeys, driving or public transport? Public transport. Phone call or text? Phone call. Nice car or nice home? House. Nice home. Okay, and the final decider, Jaffa cake. Is it a cake or a biscuit? It, it's oh, it, biscuit. <laughs> Yes. This really needs to be um, like a TV chat show to capture mine and Sarah's visible reactions when someone answers this question. Like one of us is gutted and one of us is like elated. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. Callum, thank you for joining us on the podcast. <laughs> Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience of mental health? Yeah, so I am 23. Um, I live in Oxford currently, although I'm moving to London to the Big Smoke in August, which is very exciting. Um, just finished a physiotherapy undergraduate degree um, and going on to do graduate entry medicine next year. So important for the story, I am a gay man. Um, I use he, him pronouns, if we'll go there. And when I was a lot younger, so it started when I was about 13, I had quite a tough time with mental health just because I didn't really want to be gay. I didn't want to identify as any sexuality and I just wanted to be normal, um, which was basically meaning just be a lad um, and go and play football and do everything that I thought men and boys should do, where actually there's elements of that that I do do and I have done, like sport is huge in my life. Um, played professional sport uh, for a couple of years out in Spain and things like that. So sport's huge, but I didn't realize I could do that as a gay man and that was the journey um, that I took in mental health. So, so it was about three years um, of intensive therapy, um, a couple of suicide attempts at the start, um, and then the later path with self-harm and all of the rest of that sort of side of it, some very dark times. Um, but then it was almost just my journey of accepting my sexuality rather than a mental health like condition that I had going on. I think it was just, I was so unhappy that I then went in on myself. And actually when I realized that that wasn't necessarily a problem, that actually my mental health could then be worked on. But before that, it, it couldn't, I couldn't get to that point. Mm. I think it's really relevant as well, because uh, we've recently had the kind of Jake Daniels as a professional footballer coming out as gay. And actually I was, I get it, but I was baffled by what massive news that was, that it's still a big deal to be openly gay in the sport world. And and I and I get it, and I get I really appreciate that everyone was applauding him for being so open about it. But I was like, how are we still in a place where that is like because there's no way he's the only one? And so I was like, I I'm I'm still a bit baffled that we are still in a place where it's a big deal. Um 
in that kind of world? I think it comes it comes down to two things. There's been a lack of representation for a very long time in individual sports. We have incredible role models, people like Tom Daly, um, other divers. There's incredible role models in in team sports. The history has been um, people like Robbie Rogers and other professional footballers have come out after their active playing. Um, mm. And Gareth Thomas did it in rugby. And there's not many people that have done it whilst playing. But we saw it earlier this year in Australia with Josh Cavallero when he came out in the Australian um, Premier League. But then he faced backlash since coming out there already. He had horrific chance at him. And I think it comes from football being a lad men's game. Mm. They separate that. And it's also a microclimate away from societal acceptance. Because in society, the same people that are really comfortable and have, oh, I go to the pub, my, my wife's got a gay friend, I don't have a problem. But yet when they go into this lad culture central football stadium then it's another thing they can bring up and it's just it's horrible and we just need representation and I guess part of that is about the stereotype of what a gay man looks like rather than understanding that just people are multifaceted and that nobody is going to fit those stereotypes regardless of sexuality or background it sounds like some of that stereotyping is part of what played into your struggle to kind of accept that identity early on yeah, 100%. I think that's the, it's exactly how I describe it. So I, I um, give uh, talks in schools now um, as part of some charity work for a great charity called Just Like Us. We talk through like our coming out and our acceptance stories. And I talk about how I didn't really feel like I fitted in with a white straight male in sport. And I didn't really feel like I fitted in with a gay male that was a pretty much made up of YouTube videos, Tumblr and social media who really flamboyant people that did drag and the drama and sang and I was like I can't sing I can't dance <laughs> I don't get me wrong it's entertainment but I'm not really into that and I was like I'm not that and I'm not that but there's this middle ground and like normal does exist and I think in media we saw in history LGBT plus representation was always the extremes it was always the very flamboyant very feminine gay men and the opposite with lesbian representation. And actually where we gapped was that middle line. And it's actually only recently, things like Heartstopper was one that's sort of mm -hmm. breaking through um, and showing there's that normal side to it. And it's not actually extremes as I think some people believe it is. And I think I was victim of that. Yeah, that's the, it very much feels like if you do not fit into the box, then we will put you in another box. But that box is a very different box. So if you're going to be different, you need to be really, really different so that we can see you as really different and really other. I was recently challenged in a conversation that I had with a, a friend of mine who is a, a gay man um, about the fact that as a white, straight female, I have never had to fight mm. for my identity. I have never had to figure out where I fit in normal society I've never had to do that and I was quite humbled by that challenge when I was kind of going oh you know like I, I do kind of struggle to understand it and you know like why it's such a big deal and he was like yeah but you've never had to fight for that and when you've had to fight for it when there's a, a community that I've had to fight for it actually it becomes a bit a, a really big deal and I and I was quite humbled and challenged by that so um I can't imagine I can't imagine having to do those big thinking in your teenage years when you're already struggling to figure out who you are. I think that's that's why the stats are so horrific for LGBT plus young people. That's, I think it's 50% experience anxiety um, between the ages of 16 to 18, because just compared to like, I think it's 21% in general population off the top of my head. Um, and it's just shocking, but that's why it's because you're going through that period of not knowing what life is because you're a teenager and you're trying to find the way in the world realistically and then you don't really understand what's going on in your own head and I think that's where it gets into that anxiety and that mental health stuff which is so common in um, LGBT plus people. Yeah and I think I would say that I completely completely agree with you Sarah um, I've definitely never had to fight for it in this way I could probably pinpoint times in my life where I felt like I don't fit in a place where I've had to fight to be respected or fight to be allowed to be a woman in a certain space for example times where I've definitely been treated by people around me like a silly little blonde girl even in my 30s um, and 
but I those those are rare occasions for me and I know that I always have a place to go back to where I just expect to be accepted where I expect for that to not happen I know that those are going to be rare but because that you know because there are I really notice how draining that is for me and how that emotionally affects me and and again to not to not have that base to kind of go back to and go god this happened to me today and that's not usual like it, it I, I just keep saying like it must be it must be it must be but that just must be so hard um and I think that the the fights that people have fought that they shouldn't have had to fight um in the lgbtq plus community they help everybody like it helps me it helps me even as someone who is generally really accepted you know to to kind of question the boxes that I get put into as well um and and so I think literally everybody in the world owes the people who fight these fight a debt really because it it genuinely does help everyone and it does start with that god we've talked to our friend joe brassington about this about in schools and education that that is where it starts that being the safe place for young people to be able to question and express and explore and that that should be a safe place um to do that um, do you mind unpacking a little bit some of that time sort of in, in your youth and, and what that was like? Yeah, of course. So I think it started for me, I, like I had girlfriends when I was growing up because everyone else did. So I, I did. <laughs> um, and I, one of them actually lasted for about a year, which was um, quite shocking looking back. And ironically, when we broke up, she said to me, you're gay. And I was like, no, no. Um, that was all based on the fact of we're dating for a year. We're in about... I was in year nine, she was in year 10. So how old are we? 14, 15? Yeah. Sort of the age where sexual relationships start. But for me, even a year into relationship, I was like, nah. It's not a lot about that that is really getting that, getting me going, let's say. <laughs> um, so we broke up basically because of that. And um, after that, I kind of had, went in on myself because she sort of planted a seed in my head because actually until that point, I didn't really think about it um as an option and then from then it was just that or well, maybe I am maybe she's right um and or oh, I don't know what to do I don't know who I am and then I just sort of lost myself and I lost myself in every way not just in terms of who I was attracted to but like everyday life I just went in on myself didn't talk to anyone because the other thing was I which I think is really common is I didn't want to talk to anyone because I was scared that they'd be prejudiced or they'd have bad reactions um, rightly or wrongly, because I think every person would say the majority of reactions is absolutely fine. Like there's not any problems. Um, but there's always be there's always gonna be experiences of some people. And I think I had a couple um growing up which uh stick out, uh, where I just had bad reactions. It just made me went in on myself even more. Um, and then it's just that perpetual cycle of not telling anyone, yet trying to find yourself and realistically what you need to do. And what I do now and what I've learned is you just need to have conversations with people you trust. But if you don't trust anyone with that piece of information, how are you ever going to leave that cycle? And that's where I think that sort of representation, coming back to what you said about at schools and seeing um, LGBT plus people living happy, long lives and actually just getting that um, out to them and then making sure that they are aware of safe spaces they can go to. Because there's amazing charity work and amazing... Um, uh, like uh, phone lines and things like that, which actually really helpful. I used Childline when I was um, going through um, that period and they were really helpful um, because I could be anonymous. And that was literally what I wanted because it was about, I needed to tell someone, but I didn't want them to know it was me, but I needed to talk to someone. And they gave that option of being like, doesn't matter who you are, but let's have a chat. And I was like, yeah, so this is what it is. And they're like, okay, that's fine. And I was like, is it? I don't think it is. <laughs> or like, that whole but actually personally anonymous forums were where um I actually was able to have those conversations and when I say anonymous forums I'm meaning like childline or um talking space that sort of um place rather than um like social media not that sort of vibe but in terms of those safe spaces to talk to other people or professionals I think are really beneficial just because of that period of not one you don't trust anyone so you can have the conversations without needing to build that trust um and i think the other the concerning thing and i think is something that i'm keen to do a lot of work on is 
actually in mental health services, LGBT plus people are really shy to come forward and really shy to talk about their sexuality because of a history and policy um, and practice of outing effectively young people to their parents or guardians because it was seen as a need, need to share information included in letters or risk assessments. And that was done standard practically, which actually then meant that those young people who were struggling were even less likely to go forward to those mental health practitioners who were the people that could give them the best advice. Mm. And actually then you, you're adding to this cycle even more that even they've got to the best place, they've got to where they needed to do, which realistically is months of waiting time. And then they're not using it because of what they expect of services. Mm. It just adds to that um, idea, like you said earlier, that there is one normal as well, because I have never in my life written in a clinic letter, Betty is straight. Actually, Betty's never had this conversation with her parents before, but she's straight and she's cisgender and they really need to know that. And that needs to be documented. Never. No, it's, it's shocking. And I'll talk through my personal experience. My counsellor did write to my parents and said that I was having questioning relationships with my straight friends or something. I can't remember the exact wording. Um, I have since written a formal complaint, got quite high up and policy has been changed because I kicked off a fuss, but I don't think it should have to take that experience. And actually uh, I'm amazingly lucky. My parents, my family are brilliant. I don't have a bad word to say about them in any way with regards to my sexuality or any identity ever but that's my case and they have no idea that was going to be the case that's where I took the issue of it was on a risk assessment for mental health personally I don't think a 14 year old question their sexuality is, a, is actually a risk where you could argue is that they were arguing whether it's a trigger and it was like yeah but you're it's under the equality act you shouldn't be just you shouldn't be sharing it it doesn't matter <laughs> From, from a psychological point of view, I'd say it's just lazy formulation as well. <laughs> like yeah. it's just supposed to be everything that you put down should be let's make sense of this person's experience and let's make sure that the way we're making sense of it and the information that's being communicated is helpful, not just let's just list everything they've told us, shall we? Let's just fill out some boxes. It, it's, la it's lazy wording as well. <laughs> as in like it, you could just as easily put the risk of they are struggling to find their place in the world. And that could literally mean anything. And what you've got there is the root issue without needing to disclose any personal information. So actually there's there's a laziness there in vocabulary as well. That is just like, actually you don't need to say it like that. Um, and you're right, you know, thank goodness, you're, you know, you're thankfully your family were incredibly supportive, but yeah, if they hadn't been, that could have been really detrimental. I think the, the detrimental side of it, and there has been experiences in other um, areas of the country, specifically with trans young people, where the same thing has happened. Families have then rejected them and it's led to those people becoming homeless. So effectively, a service which is supporting vulnerable people has made a vulnerable person more vulnerable. Mm. And I do not think that's acceptable in any way. Mm. And it just, it just comes to, back to what you're saying, it's lazy wording. Because you could say it's struggling with identity. Well, that, that could be in all manner of things. For your colleague that's reading the notes from a medical side, they'll go, okay, that's fine. Let's have a chat about that. And the parents, you're not outing, you're not disclosing any more information than you need to. I don't see why in either side it's acceptable. And I think if you have human conversations with people about it, then it's fine. I actually think that the people... They disclose that in those cases. I don't think it comes from a bad place. I actually think it comes from a place of going, everyone's fine with it now, or everyone's accepting. But actually, coming out is one of the things that means a lot to a lot of LGBT plus young, young people and adults. But actually, it's your own thing. It's for me to tell someone. I mean, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be a thing, but it is. And actually, it's my information to share. And having that taken away from you, I think, is is dangerous in this instance and actually it's quite impersonal because it's my information <laughs> it'd be the same of me going like this is what I like to do <laughs> it's <Yeah>. mine <laughs> just don't take it away from me it's for me to share and for me to share with you rather than it's fine everyone can know mm. I was reflecting on what you said about um 
verbalizing what you were struggling with and actually speaking it out loud to somebody and uh, correct me if I'm wrong I feel sometimes I think part of that could be about the fact that actually if you're on a journey of accepting something about yourself verbalizing it to someone you know is a line in the sand where you find it potentially quite hard to either change it or take it back or you know or anything like that and I think part of being a young person is exploring sexuality identity all of that kind of stuff and you don't it doesn't have to be a and this is the destination now Uh, you know actually I, I think it's really important that you're allowed to continue to explore and and change and 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 that kind of thing and I had a conversation with uh, with a friend of mine about you know who was very like oh you'll think I've changed my mind I'm like no that's that's not it we just as humans we evolve don't we and and we change but there's something in verbalizing your sexuality to somebody that you know that feels permanent and and if you're in a place of not being sure if you're ready for that to be permanent that must be really difficult it comes back to the when well I didn't know so I didn't know where I would put myself on a a spectrum where it fit and I actually think um there's so many boxes that you could go into in the LGBT plus community that then it's like well I don't know and you actually need to play with that and I think it's something as a community we're getting much better at of if someone changes their pronouns or if someone um, decides that they want to their sexuality has shifted towards more asexuality or pansexuality or something like that as a community we're getting much better but I think as a whole society we shouldn't necessarily need a label it should just be able to be you're attracted to who you're attracted to and you can do what you would like and that would be the dream world and I think getting there is comes back to the education stuff we're talking about it comes back to actually having those open conversations and there's snippets snippets of it in society which are great that for example um generally a girl at a party could go and kiss another girl and they wouldn't then be called a lesbian that could just be called as a laugh it could be called as fun or that could be seen as experimentation but that's not necessarily seen as defining whereas actually that's where we want to be we want to be if you want to go and kiss a girl go kiss a girl if you want to go kiss a guy go kiss a guy but i think if we then come over to the men and males if you saw a straight lad kissing another guy everyone would go nah he's gay yes and that's him in that box forever and i think we're starting to see it in society where there is this sort of like okay that's fine they've kissed someone it doesn't bother anyone but there's still snippets where it comes back to that culture of actually now they're now in that box okay it's a stereotype it's trying it's a stereotype and trying to fit people in into boxes and you're right it's um very double standards for men and women but i'll be totally honest Cal. i would think that too because and not because i think that's the way it has to be but just because of what nor you know what normally happens like the kind of um female friendships you see played out versus the kind of male friendships and some of that is going to be again people see what it kind of is typically expected um and people will just go along with that um and you're right girls girls are so much more kind of like overly affectionate sometimes and you will just see friends giving each other kisses and um i was um i was bringing my um toddler home from nursery um last week actually um and it's it's right near a, a primary school and there were these two boys who were wearing the primary school uniform so they couldn't have been older than 11 um and they were cycling past and they were just having this like chat I could hear them having this loud chat as they were cycling next to each other coming up to me and then one of them went off in a different direction and he went right I'll see you tomorrow love you mate and he went love ya and carried on and it warmed my heart and I just thought I really hope that my boy grows up to be a 10 11 year old boy who can say I love you to his male friends I think that comes back to the whole shift in terms of this is sort of aside from LGBT plus representation, but actually men and what's expected of a man is something that really needs to be worked on. Because actually, I think this this expectation that men don't have emotions, that causes a lot of problems with male suicide being so much higher and lower mental health um, recorded um, diagnoses, which is an interesting counterplay of actually not coming forward for help and getting to crisis first 
because they're not going forward without that needs to shift and actually that comes from conversations in the pub <laughs> conversations with their barber i think i did an amazing piece with november about being in that barber situation people just chat and actually it's those sort of conversations we're having wholesome conversations about yeah work was really shit today or work was really rubbish and have those conversations don't just go oh yeah my mate i'm a lad i'll just go and have a fosters down the pub and i'll be fine like actually express those emotions and that does come from just not setting those expectations with young people because it's it's hard to accept but we're not going to change that for 60 70 year olds even my parents generation but we we can change that for the generation coming through in my generation um especially at university where we have that microclimate and ability to change things actually we need to make that shift towards everyone can be more accepting there's less expectation of um a characteristic whether that's sexuality or gender to then define you if we could eliminate some of that then i think people would just be happier and be more themselves and actually people would have better relationships i think and i think it is this like you said it's the incremental small changes and it's the habits i was struck the other day by i was watching a tv show and a dad said to his daughter also is there a boyfriend on the scene and i was like how about is there somebody special in your life rather than just making an assumption about who that might be but it's those kinds of equally going to gender stereotypes i had a conversation this week with um, a child in my class who said we were getting sun hats out of the box and he said can i have a boy's hat and i was like what does a boy's sun hat look like i said you can have a sun hat <laughs> as in any of these sun hats but I was like, what on earth does a boy's sun hat look like? And it's it's that thing, isn't it? That even at that young age, we are telling children this belongs to boys and that belongs to girls. Or these stereotypes are, are boy stereotypes and these characteristics are girl characteristics. And actually, we need to break that at the fundamental level. Like you said, we're very unlikely to change that significantly in the older generation. But it actually, if we, like you said, back, you know, if your son can grow up, in a world where it's okay to say I love you to your mates regardless actually that's the the change you want to see yeah we um I think since definitely since having the conversations that we've had with with Joe um Brassington there's been a couple of things that I've been really conscious of doing um and one of them is our favorite cafe locally um always does gingerbread people and there are gingerbread men and gingerbread ladies um and I have started to go in there with my son and said uh, do you want a gingerbread person and instead of saying do you want a boy or girl one I'll say do you want one with trousers or do you want one with a skirt um and he's not daft he'll choose the one with the skirt because it's a bit more gingerbread um and often they've got names on but sometimes there are blank ones and I'll say to him um what do you want to call it and there's usually a pen around we can just write it on and again it's it's sometimes he'll choose one that you know has a skirt and it's a boy's name and that's okay um and he's got these like little like little duplo people and one of them looks like a little boy one of them looks like a little girl um and he calls them poppy and sam um which who are these kids in like this um like a, a book series about kids who live on a farm um and he calls the one who looks like a girl sam and the one who looks like a boy poppy and i'm ashamed of it at first i corrected him and then I just went, wait, what am I doing? What does it matter which one he wants to call Poppy and which one he wants to call Sam? And then that's fine. And again, when um, some people were around, they started correcting him and I just went, oh, no, 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 that's fine. But that would, that would have been a moment of me if I'd have carried on with that, trying to be like, no, I'm going to correct you. I'm going to teach you something that at some point you're going to have to unlearn. And I'm trying to be really, really aware of when I'm doing that. Um, I think it's also being human about it. Like we're not all going to be perfect and we will all make mistakes. And I think... It comes on having open conversations, thinking about it and reflecting upon it, but don't go in on yourself because then you'll cause yourself more problems by actually overthinking it and then you won't engage in it. It's actually about making sure that when you have opportunities to talk about it and you have spaces to do that, do it. Ask safe questions that you want to know the answers to because actually that will help you grow as a person. And then it's the little things like if, for example, you correct every other, amazing. Because if it used to be none and it's now every other, that's a huge step and that does go down. And I think sometimes we're so worried about cancel culture and 
getting things wrong, but actually we lose the hu human element of it. And actually with things um, like that, actually just be normal about it. If you make a mistake, correct it. Don't overthink it. And I think that's quite a hard thing to learn, but actually it's about the reflections that you make after it. And it's about growing, not necessarily tomorrow going, I will stop using gender stereotypes because unfortunately we've all been brought up in a world where they exist. It's yeah. impossible. But what little things can we do? Like that gingerbread example is brilliant. Love that. <laughs> and, and it is that. And being willing to just go, I'm still learning. I'm still figuring it out. And actually every single person in the LGBT plus community who I've said, oh, I'm not sure about this. Can you tell me more about it? Everyone's so willing to teach you. And I just think like it shouldn't be their job. But like actually, yeah, just to Joe, I'm really sorry. And Joe said it wants me um like if you're still if you're it's fine if you're still learning you're, you're trying we really appreciate it and like that's all you can really ask isn't it and I think you're right people get so worried about cancel culture that they don't do anything in case they get it wrong and actually it's better to just try and figure out and and ask the questions also like you know to to make sure that um as you said there's, there's massive individuality within this as well it's not like I'm going to sit here and go I know what it's like to be a woman I know what it's like to be every woman no, I can't, I can't teach a man about everything there is to know about being a woman. Of course I can't. Um, but I've got my experience and I can share what I think is common experience and, um, and, and I'll make that clear. But, but, you know, nobody would ever come to me and, and, and ask that question. Like, I need to know what it's like to be a woman. So can you fill me in on everything? And in a way, that's what we do with the podcast is that we often have people come on and tell their stories about a particular mental health condition or their experience of mental health. And they and we are always very clear that is one experience of that. That's not the all bipolar people with bipolar will experience this. Actually, you know, it's one story and it and it can be really relatable. You can learn a lot from it. Um, but it's always really important to find out each person's story, I think which has segued really nicely into um, our bucket questions. <laughs> so thinking about uh, the, the analogy of a stress bucket, so it's kind of what our podcast is based on, um, that more things can add stress uh, to your life and each person's bucket will fill at a different rate with different things. And when it fills over, like spills over, that can feel very different. So for you, Cam, what are some of the things that add stress to your bucket? I think the, the normal ones like work, stress, deadlines, they can all go in <laughs> but I think that they're, they're all normal um I think one thing that um definitely gets me is and is based around body image it's been in my life for a very long time and I think is something not spoken about enough in gay men specifically um because there's definitely a culture of labeling within um the gay community which I'm not sure if you're aware of um but things like um there's different types of gay men so you have things like twinks bears koalas there's uh, there's loads of them but you sort of have to try and fit into one of these boxes which is based on your body shape and then there's therefore you're trying to get to that body shape and actually every gay man that you ever see is stacked <laughs> um, on tv this is stacked or really feminine and they're the two ones you'll see <laughs> and actually it comes to body image and so i had polydysphormia when I was younger, polydysmorphia even, um, when I was younger and I still have moments like that when I'm just not happy in my body and that really does tip me over the edge because that will stop me eating and drinking properly. I'll start going uh, over-exercise to be completely frank about it and then I'll stop sleeping and then all of that will then go in and I think that body image is normally the one that tips me towards those unhealthy patterns which then will really get added into the bucket I suppose using that analogy. And when do you notice your bucket fill up with those things? Like, what is it that you start to realise? I know you've talked a little bit about kind of the over-exercising and things. Sleep is a massive one. <laughs> I won't sleep well and then I'll be tired and then that feeds back in. <laughs> um, but sleep and just nibbling being the uni term or like just being a bit more like <sighs> little things just annoy me. And uh, I can notice that I'm like, why is that annoys me? Like, I didn't sleep well last night and I came downstairs and my housemate hadn't washed up his mug of tea and I was like, what are you doing? I really, I was like, why am I so angry about mug of tea? Like, it's not that bad. <laughs> but yeah, I was like, I'm really sorry. I've just 
that like that sort of thing I just noticed and I'm like oh what come on come on let's sort something out sorry I'm laughing because before we came on to the zoom call Becca was kicking off about a cup a mug that had been left on the side for three days it's a mug not a mug a takeaway Costa cup that I had passive aggressively left there to see if it would be moved this is the builders by the way not my husband um oh, oh my toddler he's not getting Costa takeaway um but yeah I just thought let's see if they move it shall we three days later they hadn't so I've moved it now but anyway yeah sorry that's why I was, <laughs> you can that's hear why I was laughing because I was like I but was that that is something that so many people say though it's and, and and it is absolutely that feeling of like why why is that bothering me so much and it's like because I just have so much less capacity that's the point my bucket is full and it's like can you just not you just want other people to stop making life hard for you and to make it a little bit easier if possible um but sometimes I think they don't they don't know that your bucket's that full like there are definitely times where no one would dare leave a mug on the side around me <laughs> and then other times where it, t- it it takes them by surprise that I'm I'm that snappy because they haven't noticed it filling up but um what do you think other people notice and when do you think other people start to notice I think that's snapping sort of side of it and I definitely am less present if that makes sense so like at home I'll spend more time in my room I'll spend more time doing things on my own rather than uh, with other people um, which is something I try to not do but it's always <laughs> easy to say and hard to do um, but that's definitely I think people are just a bit more absent and a bit more um, that sort of like nibbly like on edge. And are there people in your life that will say that to you that will kind of say oh, I've spotted you're a little bit like this or are you the kind like are you the kind of person that's like you can't that can't be said to you? <laughs> Now, I've lived in my housemate for two years. Yeah, they tell me. Um, like, this morning, one of my housemates was like, oh, you've not slept, go over there. And then they took the bins out, and I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> and then, like, like, definitely now, with, with certain people, 100% they'll tell me, and I'll just be like, yeah, you're right. And then, actually, they've broached that conversation before I've needed to broach that conversation, which I think is really powerful. And a point of reference, they're all straight men, which is a nice little... Um, adding to actually there is it's it's there <laughs> like and actually that doesn't affect our relationship or anything that we still have great relationships I just thought that was a nice little interlude but hmm. um and so at what point in any of that do you try and do something about emptying your bucket like as in or does it is it just going to get bad before you <laughs> I think normally <laughs> a healthy amount of exercise and sport as in team sport so in hockey season it would be going to play hockey with my friends because I'm getting the exercise benefits and I'm getting social benefits and it's an amazing combination um and actually I can de-stress and I can be slightly aggressive which is probably like it's weird to admit being like sometimes I just want to go and smash a hockey ball but I kind of do and it actually just kind of helps and actually knowing that and I think it's when I don't have that or I don't have a deadline so for example like uni deadlines it's like ah uh, the next two weeks are going to be pretty tough but I know after that it's fine that's that's almost that's when I'm sort of simmering but I'm like I know there's an end I think where it gets concerning is when there's not that end date and it's just all building um but I wouldn't say that happens today it must just as a reflection it must feel quite um daunting that you're about to do quite a big transition in terms of where you're living and also into medicine so actually a lot of the things that you've put in place to handle a lot of this is going to change quite dramatically yep (laughs) (laughs) Yep. i'm just i'm just thinking about how life's about to get really hard for you (laughs) basically what i just thought i'm really sorry no it's i'm yes i agree but i um the one thing that this is a weird concept. It took me a long time to get around, but actually having mental health problems when I was younger meant that I learned a lot about coping, a lot about opening up and a lot about strategy. And I think the three things that I take away from my mental health is those three things, which actually now have had a brilliant effect on my life. Don't get me wrong. Wouldn't want to do it again. Wouldn't recommend it to anyone. But for me personally, in my journey, I've learned those skills, which is going to set me up with skills for when I go to London and have this new start new people new everything that I still have that safety netting of 
my strategies and they won't really change. I will still have all of my friends. I might phone them and not do something else. Or I might have to catch a train to come and see them. But there's actually there's a lot more um, around that. So what are the, with that, I mean, what about, it's usually our last question. I'm going to skip there first, actually. In terms of what empties your bucket, you've already talked a little bit about sport, but um, I'm wondering about those things that help you kind of tick over that you do fairly regularly, but also some of those strategies that you use more when you know you need them. Is it all right to ask you to talk a little bit more about those? Um, so I have sort of three. <laughs> the first one is um, when I'm stressed or I know I'm going to be stressed, I will journal every night. So I have a journal that sits in my bedside cabinet um, and its own pen. Don't know why I treated myself to a specific journaling pen, but I did. Um, and if I'm going through a shift of time, I will just write in there random stuff. It, I, I can tell you what I put in there. It's just any thoughts or anything. Sometimes ends up in to-do lists, but I think that's just because I'm like, I want to get it out of my brain before I go to bed. But it's just that sort of writing down or scribbling or doing anything, but I put it on paper. Um, that's definitely a big one. My second one is sort of uh, always around bodies of water, which is really rogue, but like a walk by the river or um, when I lived in Spain, it was to go and see the sea. It's something about the sound of water and that sort of calming nature of that, which I find really beneficial in terms of like mindfulness almost because I struggled with the pure mindfulness strategies, but actually going on a walk or doing something active in an environment where I can be mindful was my entry into mindfulness rather than um, doing something else. It was sort of that cat that carry over where I had that ability to do that, but was still doing something that was very much in my comfort zone, mm. um, which I, and for some reason it was always bodies of water. It was always a broke one. I'm, I'm the same. I'm exactly the same. Uh, when I was doing my dissertation, I said to my husband, if I ever get like, re- like too stressed to the point where you're worried about me, um, pick me up, stick me in the car, drive me to water, stick me by a river or a lake. I said, that'll do it. Yeah. Then I'll be able to go back and carry on. A hundred, a hundred percent. And I think the last one is forcing myself to socialize with people I know I can socialize with in a bad mood. And that sounds really weird, but it's sort of those friends where you're like, I need to go for a coffee. I don't want to talk about it, but can we just go and have a coffee and a cake and talk about what was on drag race last night or what was on telly last night or I don't want to talk about anything with meaning but I want to have a conversation about other stuff I just want to chat rubbish (laughs) and actually I have those friends in that sort of environment and I know sometimes I have to force myself to do that but I will just now and what I learned was actually don't go I'm really struggling can we go for a coffee because I knew when I wanted to talk but I knew when I wasn't there and actually then I would not talk to anyone about anything. And actually it's still, I need that social life and I need that social interaction, but I can do it in a way of, I could talk about it if I want to, but also I'm going to tell you I'm in a bad mood. Let's go and have some cake. Let's chat about rubbish, but we can breach that if, if we get there. And if not, I've still got that socializing. I've still seen people and I've still achieved. <laughs> um, and actually then that will go me on the path towards bettering on then having those conversations at a later point. I um I get find it really helpful as much as I'm an introvert and need time on my own. I find being at school with kids really helpful because I can forget. I don't have to talk about anything that's going on. I can forget and just have wonderful conversations about the bee that's just flown into the room. That could go on forever. I could be trying to teach a lesson and they go, oh do you know my my great aunt the other day went to the park and you're like okay sure let's talk about that <laughs> and actually sometimes having having space away from the the problems or the things that are very present in your mind can be very calming I think I think I spend so much of my days at work and with my close friends having deep and meaningful conversations Um, I don't think me and Sarah know how to have a conversation that's not deep and meaningful anymore. Like we can talk about crap, but it'll end, it'll end up somewhere because we just know each other so well Um, that I, I don't often have a a break from that. And I, I think that I forget, first of all, it means I forget that those kind of conversations are not kind of typical conversations for everybody, but also it means that I get really energized by simple little interactions with like, people in cafes 
um, I sat next to somebody the other day and I was I went into this cafe and there were two people um, sat on on tables with a table in between them and they were having a conversation and I sat down and was like oh I'm sorry I'm going to be sitting in the middle of your conversation now and they were like oh it's fine and they just like brought me in for three minutes and then one of them left and I was honestly sitting there just being like I feel amazing I feel amazing because I've just had this funny little simple interaction with people and it has in no way drained me. And if all of my interactions were like that, I'd be drained for a different reason because I'd feel like I wasn't being seen and I had nothing meaningful. But you need both kinds. You, you need sometimes to have those little moments of connection with people that are so unpressured. Um, and sometimes they're gonna be with people you barely know. And sometimes like you say, it's gonna be the people that you say, I need this and I know I can ask for this from you. But yeah, that's just made me think. Um, I. Have, yeah the opposite problem probably to a lot of people I need to actively seek out um conversations that aren't deep <laughs> I think it one one thing that epitomized it to me and it was really was when it started on my like thinking about this was coming out of a COVID lockdown we went back into bars and I went to the toilet and I had a random chat with a random person that I will never meet again in my life but we were talking about the beer we were drinking or I can't actually remember the conversation but I remember I went back to the table and I was like just chatted with a random in the toilet and it was actually really nice and really enjoyed it. My friends all were like, you're a weirdo. I was like, no, not in that way. Not in that way. We just talked about beer. We just talked about other stuff. Nothing, nothing deep, just visceral chit chat. But Ashra's like, it's quite nice. I've forgotten how to do that. I also found that post COVID, I was talking to um, a, a woman at our church and I suddenly went, oh, do you know what? We can't cover the last two years. So let's not even bother trying. <laughs> let's just chat about how your day was yesterday. And I think um, sometimes when we haven't seen people for a few weeks or, or a couple of months, we feel this need to like fill in on the big events. And part of what I liked about COVID was like, it's just too long a period of time to do that. So let's just jump straight into like what's going on this week rather than trying to cover some deep stuff. And I think that was quite releasing um to be able to kind of give up ourselves permission to do that 100 um callum i wondered we are releasing this for pride month can you just talk a bit about pride month can you talk about why pride month is so important can you talk about what your experience has been of pride month over the last kind of few years and, and what it what it means to you as well and what you've seen it mean to other people I think it comes back to everything we said earlier about visibility and having those conversations. And I think Pride Month has the ability to force conversations and it has the ability to bring things onto bigger platforms, get companies to talk about it. In schools, there's work going on about how to like have those conversations. And it just gives a month and it gives a period where it's actively on people's minds and it gets that conversation out there, which I think is everything we need. And actually by focusing it in a month, it means that there is an ability for that to all be done. Because I think if it was in the year, it would be another one of those things. Oh, I need to get back to that. I need to do that. When actually having a specific month, it means that people are, oh, we've got to do it this month. It's, it's, it's Pride Month. We need to do it. And it actually works brilliantly in that way to force those conversations and does get that visibility which I think is what we need we need visibility from everyone like I know my experiences as a gay man are lucky I'm a white cisgender gay male I'm I'm lucky <laughs> I have a lot of friends and a lot of other people that have had abysmal or awful experiences because their their race is different and their sexuality is different and their gender identity is different and they're really struggling but we need visibility of everyone we need visibility and I think that's what Pride Month has the epitome to do and it's also a good month of I know we have LGBT history month but actually it's a month for everyone to realize the history and things like pride parades and actually I've always had this conversation with my dad and my dad always goes like why are you just watching loads of latex people dressed people walk down the street but it's not about that and I had a, quite a big discussion slash argument um, with my dad about it when I was like no it's about the history it's about what it meant it's about the journey from Stonewall it's about getting that visibility and getting that acceptance of, to be honest, if you want to go out in latex, you do you, boo, like, you do whatever you want to do. <laughs> I'm not going to. <laughs> no, I'm not going to. <laughs> but 
I'm not going to stop you. And actually it gives that safe space to have those conversations and see it. And like, if you were a 14 year old that's never seen a black transgender woman and you've seen one in this month, that's so powerful. And I think that visibility and that almost forced, and you could say it's tick boxy, but it's still got that massively positive outlook in terms of getting there that I just think it's got so much potential and it's what we need um, for loads of things. And I think it's just to give that opportunity. Yeah, I was just thinking actually that whenever it's um, like Mental Health Awareness Week, for example, I don't know about you, so I always feel like a massive pressure to say something important, especially like say something important on our podcast or our podcast Instagram account or something at that point. Um, and, and I agree, I would say the same kind of thing, Callum, in that it's, it's a moment where those conversations are kind of forced to happen and, and organisations that work in the area are able to, to really put like big things and big statements and, and raise profiles and things like that. But a lot of the conversations are about down things they're about illness and disease and struggles and it's so important to raise awareness of struggles um but it's a it's a hard it's a hard week actually as someone who works in mental health and it's a hard week um you might disagree with this because you as, as as a gay man might find pride month is is also hard in in some ways and please do say um but from the outside it looks like a celebration and I love it. I love that. And and wouldn't it be nice if when we have like conversations about, like, again, I'm going to use mental health because that's our area um, that we advocate for. But when we talk about mental health, how great would it be if we had kind of more celebratory conversations as well and celebrated things that have gone well? Um, and I, I told, I'm not kind of criticizing anybody who doesn't have those conversations. I, I totally understand that there's an, a need to to talk about the struggles as well. But yeah, from the outside, it looks like a celebration. I think it is, and it is about celebrating everyone, and it's about ex- ex- celebrating a journey. It's the journey of pride itself, it's the journey of the movement, and it's the journey of the person. And I think that could be taken by all of awareness in mental health. Actually, the, the stories that are shared, they have morbid moments, like I'd say mine has some morbid moments along the way, and I'm not comparing, but I think it's actually, I'm here now, <laughs> out and proud and I have a great life. I have no qualms. But I think we've got that in mental health stories as well of like seeing that there is that light at the end of the tunnel or there is help and you will start to manage things better. But we always focus on the negative. And I think actually it's a tough conversation that needs to happen, but also there is an awareness that actually there is a journey and actually where can we pitch that and actually pitching it different places means that we have that visibility and it's not it makes it almost more accessible because I think it's having those conversations without needing that DMC. It comes back to what we were just saying of, yes, there's amazing opportunities for it, but there's definitely abilities to have more open conversations without necessarily going all the way, if that makes sense. I don't know if that made sense. <laughs> no, that does make sense. Yeah, it's, it, I think you're right. It's about that journey, isn't it? It's about the perspective of history and where and where it's come from but also the celebration of where we are now and where we could be I think that's the thing about there's the hope for future and you know yeah wouldn't it be brilliant if other areas like mental health and things had the same celebratory attitude to raising awareness um because actually you know uh, we want we want young people children who are seeing this that that visibility to see the hope to see the change because actually otherwise it it would be really depressing um, if it was just stories of how horrible it is and you want it to be hopeful as well yeah and also you know saying we need to we need to normalize conversations we need to get these kind of conversations into daily vocabulary but how do we encourage children to do that if the only times that they see these conversations spoken about and modeled is when things are really difficult because like well it's not difficult every day actually say you know we need to be able to talk about um you know things to do with our mental health or we need to be able to talk about things to do with our identity um and that means conversations that are probably pretty mundane as well as conversations that are really difficult or really celebratory so yeah it's it's almost that visibility of of how do we talk about this 
if, if this is genuinely a normal conversation mm. to be having and that's a, that's going to be across the board Callum thank you so much for coming on and talking to us um people shouldn't have to come on and educate but we really massively appreciate you talking about this it's been really really lovely to chat with you no perfect thank you both for um listening and I think it just comes back to that having those conversations and realizing that one story is one person's story there's loads of other people that have different experiences but actually the more you hear the more well-rounded you'll be so hopefully i've added a little bit <laughs> definitely it's been wonderful right thank you everybody for listening and yeah tune in again next month bye, bye. thank you for listening to a drop in the bucket if you want to connect with us on social media you can find us on instagram at drop in the bucket pod or twitter at drop bucket pod Alternatively, you could email us on dropinthebucketpod at gmail.com. It would be great to hear from some of you about what fills and empties your bucket or any questions that you might have for us or our future guests.